You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Right. Good morning, everybody. My name is Dusty. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're going to spend just a few minutes together um, praying before we jump into our time in the Bible. And it's been a tough week. You might have noticed nationally and even regionally with a hurricane. And I just want to pray. I don't have solutions to almost any of it, uh, but I would love to uh, together for us to ask the Lord to intervene and help. Does that sound good to you guys? So let's uh, let's pray and ask. Um, Lord, tough week, and um, I personally don't have solutions to know how to fix so much pain and loss, um, division, uh, but Lord, would you bring justice and equity um, in, the, in the loss of an African-American life? Um, would you bring um, healing with the division with protesters and even a loss of life and property there? Much to grieve, and um, the hurricane, and surely lots in this room that have, um, have friends and family in affected areas, and a lot more than that, political strife. Um, King Jesus, would your grace intervene? Um, would you bring help? Would you bring relief? Would you um, bring some kind of even national unity wherever it can be had? I have no idea how that happens, but Lord, we're asking you. And um, would you be that for us? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, um, I'd like to um, have us turn to First Peter chapter two. Is going to be we're just going to be looking at two verses today, and I would like for us to um, explore these two verses. I've spoken more on these these verses here, I think, than any other passage in our almost thirteen years at Redeemer. That um, this was the the text that I spoke from when Redeemer opened, um, whenever we had our tenth anniversary a few years ago, and probably at least one other time since then. And part of that is because so much of Redeemer's values of being a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples, that that really is all found right here in one, this one passage. And it's all over the Bible, but it's really nice when all of it's just like, like right there, you know? And so um, my hope would be pretty level playing field. If you're brand new, if you don't know a whole lot of the Bible, um, if you have been around Redeemer for all 13 of the years or anybody in between, Really, it's going to come down to this, is what we see today about Jesus, will we respond to it? And so if this is very familiar, familiar to you, um, hopefully the Bible gets very familiar to you over time, even if you've heard a sermon before in 1 Peter 2, that the important thing is what are we going to do to respond to the Lord in it? And what are we going to, how are we going to respond um, with other people uh, because of what we hear today? That's what it's going to be about. So we're doing a, a series on what we call our discipleship rhythms that really have a lot of that gospel-centered missional family embedded into it. And so we've already talked about believing the gospel. We've already talked about finding family. Those themes are going to come up again today. <clears throat> and then we're going to talk today about joining the mission. So I just want to jump right into, um, into the Bible. We're really going to be focusing on where we're going positively in this. Is I just want to read verses 9 and 10, and then here's what we're going to do. I'm going to orient you to the passage because there's a lot of Old Testament language that's being pulled into our New Covenant context of the church we're going to do that, and then we're going to talk about um, a specific priestly function that's going to involve our, our things that we're talking about and these discipleship rhythms in this one passage. And then I want to tell you a story of a Redeemer member that I, I think pulls all of this together that was really moving when I heard it last night. So that all happened uh, about 8 o'clock last night. So um, let's, uh, let's go and jump into it. I'm going to read in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. It'll be on the screen as you're following along as well. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And then here's the priestly function, the run out of that, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So this is the, um, just a very brief two verses. Now let me orient you to it a little bit. Um, there's a lot of language, especially if you're newer to the Bible, that you'd be like, now what? Priesthood, chosen nation, now what? Uh, is this like America? Is this Israel? What are we talking about? And the answer is neither. It's actually talking about using language from the Old Testament that would have been talking about Israel, but applying it in a new covenant context. So here's what, uh, what this is getting at. So you are a chosen race. That would have been pulling from the language of the Jews, Israel being a chosen race, by the way, which was never intended to terminate um, exclusively on Israel. The whole point of Israel um, encountering God and his redemptive power was that there would be a, a light to all the nations. In fact, if you read the Psalms, a lot of the language is, um, and then the nations will stream into Zion. Like it was always intended to be that, kind of like a, a redemptive beachhead of one race that then it would spread out into all, um, all races. Uh, but it's saying, look, you are a chosen race. And this is funny because this is talking to a multi-ethnic people of God. So it's using that language, but it's like, you're not actually any one race. It's all races. It's all, all flavors, all ethnicities around the world. You now make up this new people of God. That's the chosen race that you are. That's a pretty provocative thought, even in our moment we're having here. A royal priesthood. And again, pulling from Old Testament language, there was one tribe in Israel that did all of the priestly, priestly function out of the 12 tribes. And uh, the, one of their main things they would do is, is uh, the function in the temple where they were kind of a go-between between humanity and God. And uh, saying that, hey, you are a kingdom of priests, so men and women, and no, you're not from that one tribe, you're probably not Jewish, so you're a, a chosen race, a multi-ethnic people of God, made up of all races, that's pretty provocative, and then moving into uh, this right here, of now you're a priest, all of you. Now, here's the thing, you don't need me to go between you and God, that's not actually the whole point of this. Um, you don't need me to say, hey, here's how we do this, and, and why don't you tell me what you need to know, and I'll go talk to the big guy, and I'll get back to you. And that, that's not how it works. Uh, that in fact, because of Jesus being the great high priest, his death and resurrection now uh, enable you to directly encounter him. But there is a priestly function of declaring his excellencies to connect people to God, which we're going to get into in just a minute. So now you are all part of a chosen race if you believe in Jesus, and you are all priests. So there's not like five priests in this room that are kind of the ones that are the hired hands that imagine a room full of, an online audience full of priests who believe in Jesus that now are carrying that reconciling priestly function wherever they go. A holy nation. And again, similar to race, that this, this language of holy nation would again pulling back to Israel in the Old Testament. But now we're a holy people, um, that not any one nation, but really um, as Jesus is known throughout all geopolitical states or around the world, that Jesus would be known, you're a holy nation that isn't in any one country. You're a chosen race made up of all races. You're a kingdom of priests, even though you're, you're not from this one tribe. We all spread out among all nations. We're a holy people declared to be holy by the blood of Jesus. And then uh, a people of his, for his own possession. I think this is really significant because we're a society and a culture that are trying to figure out who we are. 
I mean, all this really is painting one big portrait using Old Testament language that um, we, are, uh, we, are, we are a people, and um, you have an identity, and that, that fundamental identity is a holy nation and a people of his own possession and priests and a, a chosen race. These are all a picture here that God, it, like you are his, and a lot of our young people, so if you're here, you're young, you're watching this online, you probably, from a very early age, the messaging you've heard is you need to figure out who you are, and then you need to be true to that. Like, that's the, the whole thing. And it seems like this real liberating message of, you know, don't listen to society, don't listen to God, don't listen to anything else. You need to figure out who you are and then go be true to that. Uh, okay, um, that sounds really great, except it's actually a lot of pressure uh, because how are you supposed to figure this out? I mean, do you need to go to, to a desert? Well, I guess you did if you're here in Lubbock. Uh, do, you need to go, uh, do you need to go find, like, what, what would you do? Do you go to a concert and find out who you are? How do you discover it? Because you're a complex individual, and how do you even know what you are? And if you really take a step back and think about it, you would realize that culture tends to form who it is that we are. And so even this question is probably a cultural construct. And so how is it that I'm supposed to figure this out. It's actually a lot of pressure. I mean, do I need to find it and express it by having a lot of fun in my career? I mean, wh- like how, what? Uh, but here, that identity is, is solved for you. Like, who are you fundamentally? Fundamentally, you're a human being in relationship with God, that you are possessed by God. In other words, you're his. Um, he is yours. That is fundamentally what defines you. And isn't that incredible that that doesn't mean you, there's not a sense of self-discovery on, on what uniquely God puts you on this earth to contribute and, and a unique wiring that you have and unique strengths that you have to offer. I'm not denying any of that, but you do that from a, a sense of orientation. I'm a human being in relationship with my creator, and that was established through Jesus. And then you have this priestly function that we're, we're going to be exploring a lot about proclaiming the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we're going to do. All the rest of this is just identity. Even verse 10 is identity. Um, pulling from the language from Hosea in the Old Testament, you weren't a people, so we were just individuals that, you know, kind of clicking up with whoever we liked. That's what we were before we met Jesus, but now you are. You've been made into this multi-ethnic, global people of God, this universal church that's been put together by Jesus for all who believe in Jesus' death and resurrection. You previously had not known God's mercy, verse 10, but now you do. You didn't know. You hadn't experienced mercy, but now you have. It changes everything. So here's what I want to do now. That's the orientation. What I'd like to do is I'd like to talk about this priestly function, um, and um, we're going to do that, um, and then we're going to conclude with a a bit of a of story that was really impactful to me. So the first part of this, of this priestly function of declaring the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light is actually vertical and it's declaring it to God. And you could also talk about this in terms of that first rhythm of believe the gospel, which means the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. So here's the thing. Um, it's tempting to feel like, um, all right, C.S. Lewis said it this way. Lewis said that for a long time before he was a Christian, you know, the Narnia guy, uh, he did other things, but that's probably how you might know him. Uh, Lewis said that it really bothered him about the God of the Bible, how he was all the time saying, hey, praise me, worship me. And he said it was like this vain person that was wanting someone to compliment them and say that they look nice in their jeans or something like that. He didn't use jeans, but that's more or less, hey, I look good, don't I? And please tell, please flatter, flatter me, please flatter me. Um, And it really bothered him until one day he was going for a walk in the park and he saw like a young couple in love and he just saw how like 
reflexive even praise is, is that they didn't have to drum it up. It wasn't a false thing that if there's an object that you love, that you admire, that you, that you have some affection for, it just naturally, reflexively gets expressed to that person. So this young couple, they weren't having to like say, I command you to, um, to find joy in me. Like they just did. They loved one another and you could see it in the touch of an arm and smiling and laughing at jokes. I remember back when Amy used to laugh at my jokes and things like that, that we, you, you do that. And so, um, and, and it's just a reflexive thing, but it's not just in human relationships. Like there are things that you lean across the table and talk about. It may be politics. It may be your take on a certain social issue. It could be a lot of things, but there's something, a sports team that you lean across the table and be like, hey, I'm glad this topic came up because I've got thoughts, you know, that kind of thing. And I just love this idea and I love this ideology and I love this perspective and I, and I want to I wanna talk about it. You post about it on social media. Like you have something that, that you express affection towards, something you love that you, you talk about. Um, so this, this part right here, I would make a case is, uh, is really reflexive. Um, this story of God's grace in us and redemption in Jesus is so amazing. And this is the real question. If we really believe that he called us out of darkness into light, that praise is the natural response. Like it just bubbles up, right? So let me tell you about an experience I had a couple of weeks ago. I was really glad I didn't have to do this exercise, <clears throat> but I had a friend of mine that was sitting in a chair and um, there've been a lot of other things that happened over the course of this exercise. And there was an empty chair right here. And, um, and the person that was leading this exercise says, okay, hey, I want you to pretend that Jesus is in this chair. What would you like to say to Jesus right now? I mean, which by the way is the open invitation all the time. It's called prayer, right? But there's something about having that chair there. And he'd already been talking about a lot of vulnerable, difficult things. And with, you know, tears just kind of streaming down his cheeks, he says, really one sentence. He says, I, I hope that you're pleased. I hope that you're pleased with what I've done. Um, what would you say if this is your, Jesus is here in the chair, and by the way, he is right now. He's here with us. What is it that you would say to Jesus? Would it be, um, do you want me around? Do you notice? I'd be, I'd be tempted to say that. Do you even notice that I'm here? Am I significant? Do I matter to you? Some of us, it might be, am I worthy of love? You know, am I worthy of, of care and consideration for me? I mean, what is it that you, you would want to know? Or it might be even a question of why did this happen or, or something like that. And so he, he voices this, this question, and then he had him later go sit in this chair. And he said, okay, you're an old pastor guy, so you know the Bible pretty well. Why don't you talk back to yourself? How, how would Jesus, do you think, respond here? And I want you to say the words. And this time with like, tears gushing, he says, yes, I'm pleased with you because I'm pleased with you because of what I've done on the cross for you. And I've laid my life down for you and I've chosen you. It's a lot of language here, right? Um, you're mine and I've, I've laid my life down for you and you belong to me. You've been adopted as a son. And so, yes, I'm pleased with you. Yes, it's been beautiful to me. And the reality is, is that um, this is the actual exchange all the time. We pray to God. And then the reality is, is we don't have to imagine what God would say because the Bible's filled with his promises. We 
know exactly what he would say, and that's that he would love us, and, and he would call us out of darkness in the light. And if you actually believe that, like whenever we're done, these tears, tears of praise for my friend, but all of us were like clapping. There were shouts in that room because it was all a story about darkness to light, grace. We were, we were not a people, but we've become a people, and we hadn't known God's mercy, and now we do. So that's the first priestly function is just simply going vertical where we praise him uh, for uh, calling us out of darkness and, and bringing us to light. A second function, if we break this, declaring, it, uh, declaring his excellencies into three parts, if the first one is vertical, these last two are horizontal. And this is going to be declaring it to people, and um, this is going to be with one another. And, and this is the find family component um, that we've been talking about. So you're going to declare it to God, but you're going to declare it to other Christians. We talked about this last week. It's what's unique about, uh, that's different about the church than, say, finding friends out in the world. You're probably going to find friends. You already have friends. I'm not questioning your ability to meet people. There's something unique about spiritual family where this, this reality of Jesus calling us out of darkness into light and the mercy that we've experienced that we learn to communicate that. So we're even doing that right here together as we gather. Right now, I'm communicating to you from the Bible and declaring to you the excellencies of Christ. We're going to do that to God, but you're also even encouraging one another when we sing in just a minute. We're declaring God's excellencies to God and to one another whenever we take communion it's a, a statement um, individually and corporately of we're declaring to one another the excellencies of Christ, his death, and his resurrection. And so we're doing it when we gather. But one of the most exciting things for me, probably one of the most fulfilling things for me as a pastor, is when I see people, it almost feels like a conversion of sorts, learning to have God talk in everyday life outside of what we're doing right now. Uh, that um, for a lot of you, the only experience with God you've ever known is sitting shoulder to shoulder with somebody while someone else leads in songs, someone else talks about God, and you take it in, you may even be helped by it, but like you've never learned the joy of actually declaring it and, um, and even talking about it with one another. So let me give you two examples from my life this week of ways that, that um, I've experienced that. So one was yesterday morning on my patio. Uh, my wife Amy and I were having coffee. Okay, to be clear, she doesn't drink coffee, which is funny that she went to med school and survived residency without ever drinking a cup of coffee, but she has. So I'm drinking coffee, and she's just asking me how I'm doing, and, and I said, I don't know. And, um, and I asked her, and, and she said, man, I think I might be mad at God right now. I said, you know what? I actually think I am too. And that may disappoint you to hear a pastor say that. Uh, but I, I've got good company in the Psalms. There's all sorts of Psalms that are like, how long, O oh Lord? How long? How long will we wait for you to intervene in this broken, unjust situation or whatever it is or difficult situation? And we just started talking and we, we just well, kind of worked through it together. And I'm not saying solved it, but like we kind of triangulated the issue of what we were angry about and what, what we were frustrated. And, and then we even moved together towards, you know, reconsidering the cross, reconsidering God in the middle of it, how we were going to reapproach it. But it was like a super helpful, honest, raw conversation in my marriage. Let me give you another one. Um, I called one of our members. Um, we will call her Robin Rawls. Okay, that is her name. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, so I called Robin to check on her this week and just to see how things were going. And um, in the middle of it, through you know, challenging circumstances that she's going through, um, in the middle of it, she was just talking about how the Lord is holding her up and how the Lord had been sufficient for her and just talking about her life. And by the end of it, like I hung up the phone, I called to check on her. And by the end of it, I was like, oh, 
Like I'm the one who benefited out of that conversation. Like she pointed me to Jesus as I was calling to check on her. And like, so that God talk in the middle of a phone call uh, from friend to friend, I walked away so challenged and encouraged by her faith in Jesus. So this is what, imagine in this room and those who are watching online, imagine everywhere we go, if we're declaring mercy, if we're declaring the excellence of God everywhere that God put us, can you imagine the impact if it's not like five of us doing it, but all of us as God's people uh, being sent out to do it? And the third component that really is the, the message of this sermon in many ways is um, the declaring it to people, which is the, um, the join the mission part. So you're declaring God's excellence to him vertically, horizontally to other Christians, but also um, to our friends who don't know Jesus yet. Now, if, if that's you, you're watching online, you're here in person, I'm hoping that this is going to maybe help you understand why we talk about our faith, why we invite you to these services. And I just want to make it clear, if you look at what uh, verse 9 told us, it was that he called us out of darkness into light. And it's not because we think we're up here and you're down here and we kind of want to enlighten you. It's, we're, it's actually the other way around. Is we're saying, look, we have tasted brokenness. We've tasted loss. We have been in darkness. We know what that's like. We know what it's like to not have any hope. Uh, we know what it's like to be outside of God's mercy. And because we know that, we're trying to invite you into this, this grace that we know. It's actually a, like maybe you've got your act together better than us, uh, but we, we know that we've needed grace and we'd like to invite you into the excellence of God and to consider Christ and his cross and consider his resurrection. And um, this one thing, I just want to make this as clear as I can, that it may feel like this additional responsibility, and you're like, yeah, I don't know enough Bible. Here's the thing. All of this really comes down to one thing, and it's really that first part vertically. If God is beautiful to you, you will find yourself expressing it. And the reality is you already do that. Like whatever it is that you think is awesome, you naturally, you naturally express it. You already do. You, you lean across the table and you talk about something you're passionate about. And again, politics, sports, you're an amazing evangelist right now. Like you already are evangelizing people for your perspective, on your ideology, on your favorite food places, whatever it is. You're like, oh my gosh, have you seen this new restaurant? And, and whatever it is, have you heard this new song? And hey, did you know this? And whatever, whatever those things are to you, you lean across the table and you share these things. Um, you, your heart kind of leaps out from it. You're going to declare whatever you think is excellent and beautiful. And you already are. So this is a call then that if to a Christian, Jesus is the most valuable and beautiful thing, you're going to find yourself expressing it to your friends who currently maybe have walked away from the Lord or who maybe have never really experienced the grace of God. So I, I, um, I wanted to uh, share one story on this that I feel like pulls this element of join the mission, but it really pulls all three of them together. So I'd heard this a little bit last week as I was getting ready to speak, coming in right over here from the tunnel. Um, smoke comes out and we slap the top and all that as we come out. Uh, it says play like a champion. Actually, I'd really like to do that. Um, but Sam, who is one of our, uh, was on our college staff, was getting ready to read the scripture and she pointed out to one of our, our guys that was on the worship team and she goes, hey, you know somebody's story that you need to hear someday is Tanner Walters, that guy right there. And I remember bits and pieces of it because he was baptized a little while back. And I had somebody else mention it to me during the week, and I had his number. And so I actually called him at 8 o'clock last night, all right, and said, hey, um, he knew I was going to be calling, so it wasn't that creepy. Uh, maybe a little bit creepy. But I, um, I, said, uh, I said, hey, man, I've heard you have an incredible story. Would you mind just sharing that with me? And by the end of it, I was like, dude, can I just share this tomorrow? 
And he's like, absolutely. So here's, here's a Tanner's story. So I want you to throw this picture out. There it is. So this is Tanner actually serving um, some, I'm sure, delicious cinnamon rolls to the youth and a college student um, here at, and at uh, Tech and hails from the huge city of Idaloo for Idaloo people over here. So, um, so this is Tanner's story is that he grew up and his family were kind of like they were Catholic, but at about 12 or so, he and his family quit going to church at all. So it was something way in the background, all right? And then he goes uh, go to, to school at Tech, and he does um, what a lot, uh, you could call it kind of the typical college deal for the first two years of his life. And some of you college students are here going, what? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what, co- what normal college deal? Okay, well, involved lots of alcohol, lots of girls, stuff like that, right? Um, and you're like, okay, yeah, I, I get that. And he just, I mean, there was no spiritual life for him. He did whatever it is that he wanted to do, even going back to that earlier conversation, trying to find a sense of self and identity. And it got to a point, everything went downhill this one summer where he was even diagnosed with, you know, some anxiety and depression. And it got to a point that he was, in his own words, minutes away from ending his life, that he was suicidal. And you want to talk about without hope in the world. I mean, he's just like, what do I even living for? Um, there's some other things that had happened over the course of that summer that were especially painful. And um, so he has a friend named Reagan who belonged here at Redeemer. And Reagan um, has some spiritual conversation with him and says, why don't you come to Redeemer with me? So he comes. Um, I'm speaking, um, I believe, in Genesis, uh, I'm sorry, Galatians 1, talking about that we're saved by Jesus, uh, his grace, the cross, and faith is what connects us to him and not what we do. So he hears that message. In the middle of all this, um, Hank Howard, who's this dude that's over here, um, just sees him. And this could be any of you. And you never know who's next to you. And he just sees this guy and says, hey, um, you know, tell me about you. And they start talking and getting connected. And, and it's just basic hospitality that hopefully happens here every Sunday. And, um, and they begin to talk. And, and then I think at some point Tanner tells him where he's at spiritually. And like, hey, like this whole thing, like I'm trying to put the pieces together right now. And so they end up sitting down and Hank in a really clear way lays out from what's broken about people and how Jesus came to redeem it through the cross and how forgiveness um, can be accessed and even uh, um, and your a connection with God can be enabled through believing in Jesus and then someday he's going to make it all right and eternal life in heaven and lays all that out. And then they, after that, they begin to study the Bible together over the course of a whole fall. Later that fall, Hank and another staff member baptized Tanner together and um, that his, his story and bits and pieces of it were shared even at that moment. And so, um, and even now, check this out. Check out his, um, his tattoo right here. Um, if you want to talk about how this kind of pulls the whole story together, because um, if you think about um, Tanner's story is that, um, that someone else joined the mission, that would be Reagan, that would be Hank, even us together on that Sunday service, other people that engaged, shared the truth of grace from our own experience. Um, he's in the middle of this, this terrible crisis. He believes in Jesus. Then he and Hank begin to declare the excellencies of God on a regular basis, reading the Bible together. And then now, check this out, um, in addition to him sharing the story with me last night and being happy to share it with you, do you see that phone number right there? Um, that's on, uh, on his arm that um, he said that people will even ask him what that means. And they're like, what is that, like your mom's number? She don't forget it or something like that, kind of messing with him. And then it gets real heavy because he says, no, that's actual the, um, the suicide hotline. You can call that. In fact, some of you might need to just uh, take a screenshot of that. And, and he begins to tell a story and says, I was minutes away from ending my life. I was hopeless in this world. 
and I've met the grace of Jesus, and I now have purpose to my life, and I know the grace of Jesus now, and begins to use that story of his darkest moment out of darkness into light. And now you look at all these things together, and now Tanner is now now declaring all, to all of you, really through his life, through his ink, through his story, is declaring that God called him out of darkness into light. And Hank did that, and Reagan did that, and several of you did that, and now we're declaring it to one another. And I hope that this will just lay out for all of us um, the beauty of joining the mission of God. And it's not really anything different. I've learned if Jesus is valuable and beautiful, we will communicate it. Um, So what I want to do is uh, I want to pray that he would grip us. That's really what this whole thing comes down to, is if the grace of Jesus grips us, all the other dominoes begin to fall. So let me me pray. Lord, would you uh, move powerfully, um, that there would be many that would move from darkness to light. Um, There would be uh, many um, that would begin for the first time learning to have God talk with one another and being honest about where they are and looking at the scripture together and um, sharing with our neighbors and that there would be um, grace would be known and experienced in this room and by those who are watching online. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.